Welcome to Forward Looking Leadership, a podcast for visionary executives building future-ready organizations. I'm your host, Dan Freeling. I'm the founder of Contempus Leadership, a coaching practice that helps organizations develop their leadership pipeline through virtually unlimited coaching for their top rising talent. I'm honored to be joined today by Corinne Ellis. Corinne made her career in the financial services sector and brings world-class executive experience in strengthening workplace culture and employee experience. Corinne and I completed our master's in organizational leadership and learning together. Throughout our work, I came to deeply respect her tremendous expertise and insight into leadership, culture, and employee well-being at the highest levels of business. Listeners, you're in for a captivating conversation. Corinne, thanks so much for joining me on Forward Looking Leadership. Thank you so much, Dan, for having me today. Of course, of course. Thanks for making the time. Corinne, in your experience, what makes for a strong organizational culture? I think a strong organizational culture really starts with intentional leaders. Um, I think leaders who don't just care about the bottom line, but really, really who genuinely just care about the people who work for them. I have always been um, an advocate for leading humanly. I I never like individuals to see me with my title first, um, just more so about me treating them with respect and having a conversation with them about various things which includes getting to know the individual um, on, on a human-to-human basis about their lives outside of the office. I feel a strong organizational culture really starts with just leading humanly and also having the, 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 the gumption to really also give feedback. Sometimes feedback conversations can be tough, but individuals need to hear the truth. They need transparency. So I feel like giving feedback, even when the conversation can be tough, is also very important in building a strong culture. And I think also have the will to change. When leaders have a will or, or, or be open-minded, rather, to, to changing their approach based on the individuals that they engage with will also help. Because not everyone will, will respond to, to an iron fist approach, right? So, so striking a right balance between meeting an individual where they are, while at the same time, too, being able to communicate a message in an effective manner is super important for organizational culture. Wow, I really love all of that. So that that treating people as humans first, at the same time being able to give direct feedback, and at the same time also being adaptive. So all all of those kind of dichotomies and different approaches to leadership coming together for you in being leaders in a strong organizational culture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Turning to employee engagement, I know there's a lot out there on driving employee engagement. I'd love to hear from your experience and expertise, what are some of the unusual or underrated ways that firms can grow employee engagement? Uh, good question. So to me, nothing I'm, I would say would necessarily be unusual, but I do think sometimes it could be underrated. Um, and these are definitely the quote-unquote soft skills. Um, usually in corporate America, we pay a lot of attention to someone's ability to execute. But I feel like in the past three to five years or so, there has definitely been an increase um, in organizations finding ways to to be more inclusive in, in, in their approach to really strive for more equity and belonging. And those things don't get as much airtime as they should because you can't really quantify someone's feelings as you could with, with representation. So I think the pandemic also really highlighted a shift in priorities for many in the workforce and companies are realizing how much power employees have today um, uh, and that they had with that, right? I mean, individuals are really choosing to prioritize their families versus just 
um, versus just just staying in the office as they would have before prior to the pandemic. So for me, I, I think that I wouldn't necessarily say it's an unusual thing, but I say really when it comes to uh, a factor in driving employee engagement is really how do we make employees feel a sense of inclusion, a feel a sense of equity and belonging, and really being intentional in bringing those factors to life. Yeah, so really underrated on on that um, inclusion and equity belonging and the, the other kind of quote-unquote soft skills there being really important even in a um, sort of hard-nosed corporate setting mm-hmm. in, a, in a way that wasn't really the case in the past and has shifted into that. Correct. So in, in terms of other changes that are recently affecting the, the workforce, you mentioned the, the shifts over COVID and um, more power shifting to the employees in terms of that flexibility mm-hmm. and choice. What do you see coming up over the next five or 10 years? Good question. Um, <laughs> I think the face of leadership will definitely change over the next five to 10 years as, as our boomers who hold C-suite positions or, or, or high-level positions uh, transition out of the workforce. I think Gen Zs and Millennials will definitely have a bigger role in the strategic directions of companies. Um, and I think they would find a desi- they'll have a, a desire or, or find a way to really increase more digitalization in, in, the, in, the corporate, in corporate America and the business world on the whole with more AI and machine learning. And I think they will also have a greater sense of what's important to people. Um, I, I think um, the quote-unquote soft skills of today, to me, will become the hard skills of tomorrow um, in the job aspect where execution and people's behavioral skill or their behavioral profiles will have to start matching and aligning, right? So usually when you look at someone's resume, you are automatically taking a look to see, okay, do they have these technical skills, et cetera, et cetera. But to me, interviews going forward um, will also have to have a huge component of a leader's ability to really connect with their employees, not just their ability to, to execute and get things done. So I, I think in the next five to 10 years, I think that would be a huge organizational shift as Gen Zs and millennials are more focused on work-life balance. They're more focused on, on increased transparency. They're more focused on on diversity and inclusion, corporate social responsibility, ESG, et cetera. And some of those factors are going to bleed into how they lead as well. And they also want to work for individuals to actually make the work environment a really pleasant place to work as well. Wow, that's um, that's really great to hear in a lot of ways that that those skills are going to be coming into play, not just the technical, but the soft skills. And I've, I've been noticing the same with a lot of my um, clients moving into that actual strategic leadership positions, and they're generally in the millennial um, cohort. But even even millennials are now tipping into early forties at the higher end and really taking on positions of organizational leadership. So that that's really interesting to hear from your perspective. Thank you. And I know you're not a, a fortune teller. You don't have a crystal ball, um, but <laughs> getting very speculative. Uh-huh. Um, what what changes can you imagine in the business world over the next 50 years? Jeez, 50 years. Um, hopefully by then I'll be, you know, retired, you know, living on the south of France. But <laughs> that sounds lovely. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but but in all honesty, I really think that um, we will definitely have more digitalization. I think like, you know, chat, chat GPT and some of these um, new, I, I guess, new technologies coming on board um, will definitely have a stronger hold. I wouldn't be surprised to see that we'd be leveraging a lot of AI more in our recruiting processes, specifically when it not just comes to doing some of the back end work and in matching individuals' profiles to job descriptions. 
but more so also helping individuals conduct some of the some, conduct some more of the interviews as well. So uh, I'm looking forward to see exactly how how AI will definitely help um, evolve the entire people cycle, right? From from recruiting straight through to feedback and development and, and, and eventually to when someone exists to roll and go into another space. So I think um, definitely more to see with, with technology and how we'll really take a stronghold in how we think about people going forward. Yeah, that seems to be the, the trend now with, with the way that AI is coming on. I feel like we're at an, a very early stage of um, AI's adoption and obviously nobody knows exactly how that will play out. But as you mentioned, that AI being woven in throughout the employee lifecycle and into recruitment and also into that management and feedback mm-hmm. and um, all of that is, is really fascinating. And it opens up interesting conversations of, you know, if, if AI can do much of what's currently considered management, then what is the role of leadership? What's the role of managers and executives right, right. in, so in future I, I think, organizations? You know, not to be too speculative here, but, you know, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the movie iRobot, but I'm always wondering, like, geez, if we do give robots so much power, will they eventually take the power, right? Because they may realize we have more, we have more intellectual capacity than humans. So, um, so it'll be interesting to see what the next fifty years look like. Definitely, and with with a lot of my other guests, I, I mean, a lot of our conversations when I get to that question have been tipping into that the science fiction scenarios, uh-huh. and I, I've been saying there is, you know, it, it's funny to talk about it in some ways, but there there is a real. Um, you know, ability to to think through to the future in these kind of fun scientific um, science fiction scenarios right? and seeing, you know, what could go wrong here and what do we have to be on the lookout for? Exactly. So with all these changes coming up, so the, the, um, the generational shifts, the greater um, digitization and use of technology, the incoming AI um, revolution, how, how can executives best prepare their organizations for these changes? Uh, I think they really have to develop an organized an organizational structure that prepares the employees for the change. They also have to have a, a mindset uh, of of being okay with change. You know, sometimes people say that they're okay with change, but not until but when the change really starts to happen, they 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 start to get a little cautious. So I think they really have to work on making sure that they prepare the employees for the change, and and that comes through in how they think about succession planning. Um, so their succession planning should be top of mind. They should also, I think, work on developing a learning culture, right? So they also create opportunities for their existing um, employees to, to, to enhance and develop their skill sets and also create a space for their incoming potential analysts or, or, or new hires to be, be able to be more involved in certain execution of the work. So what I have observed definitely in working with more of my peers who are millennials or definitely peers who are Gen Zs is that they want to be involved in our strategy thinking, right? So they, they no longer want to be involved in just being told what what we're planning to do once the strategy is set. They want to be invited into the conversation about the strategy. So I think um, when we think about how executives could start really being prepared is really bringing them along for the journey and thinking about succession planning through those lenses. I think... Um, also, when we think about the vendors that we use, the the, the consumers, the ch- change in consumer taste, um, figure out a way to understand how to create more efficiencies in keeping up with their changes as well will be super Im- important um, for executives to prepare for some of these changes. Because when we think about what AI may be designed to do, right, you know, you have in the algorithms, et cetera, working behind the scenes to actually see and detect how consumer changes will impact 
your bottom line, but it's also how now you're going to lift that information to make the right decisions going forward. And as soft skills eventually become the hard skills of tomorrow, it's also figuring out how do you position your your leaders uh, who are not in, in, exactly in high leadership roles just as yet, but how do you position them to also manage those changes going forward? So I think the best way for executives to really prepare for some of those changes that I mentioned before is really developing a, a, a mindset of change and preparing their organizations today for that change. So, so really shifting into change is not something that we can avoid, not something we can minimize, but something we need to embrace. And then integrating a lot of what used to be separate functions. So sort of like a, you know, the succession planning, the organizational learning and development, um, mentoring and job shadowing and all of those kind of opportunities for rising talent and combining them into this way to embrace change, get ahead of change and make it work for the organization's purpose. Mm -hmm. That is, that is really fascinating. I love that approach. Um, what other challenges or opportunities do you see with the the generational shifts happening in the workforce? I I could only say, I, I would say about three things, right? At least from from where I sit and, and the body of what that I'm responsible for, I think that there is definitely a, a challenge. It's a lot of miscommunication, but these could also be opportunities too, right? Just depending on how you, how you look at it. But um, I think challenges could be miscommunication in the sense where. Many managers may miss the mark on the things that are important to me- to millennials and Gen Zs, um, or their communication style may no longer fit that audience, right? So by not providing transparency behind their decisions or the, the downstream impact, they'll definitely be missing the mark on, on what might be important to to the uh, the millennials and Gen Zs in, in our workforce today. I think also stereotypes, right? So people. As a millennial, sometimes people uh, think that millennials and Gen Zs are quite lazy, but that is not true. I I don't think so. I know I'm definitely in my millennial energy. I am not lazy. I probably just see the world through different lenses. Lens. Um. So I think a lot of stereotypes, where though they may not say it, but their actions will prove it. Right. So in that, oh, this person is too junior to attend this meeting. Oh, this meeting uh should only be kept for these officers and above. But I think those those stereotypes, I don't think there's a, a place for those type of stereotypes and actions anymore. I think organizations need to really do um to really embrace the 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 gifts that Gen Z give gives us and figure out a way to incorporate them more um in, in their decision making processes. And then another big challenge that I think with the current generational shifts in our workforce is also just retention. So I think boomers and Gen X Outside of the outside of the workforce, as parents raising millennials and raising Gen Zs, uh, really put a, a true sense of self worth in them, right? So they 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 learned from the things that their parents put them through and decided when they were going to have kids, they were going to do the opposite. But yet, when Gen Z and millennials come into the workforce, their attitude about it changes a bit, right? So Gen Zs Gen Zs today, to me, are not going to stay on a team or in an organization that doesn't align with their personal values, right? So then to me, and I think that's the beauty about that generation. Their parents have instilled such a wonderful self sense of uh, sense of self-worth in them that they're not going to uh put up with some of the things or the headaches of of being um in corporate America that prior generations did. 
Um, and I think that's what we're seeing today in instances with quiet quitting, right? So where um, Gen Zs are there, they're trying to create their own work-life balance by quiet quitting. So I think those, to me, are some of the challenges um, when you think about the general generational shift in our workforce. But uh, for me, given that I work in the uh, workplace culture and experience field, these are also opportunities for me to learn, for me to figure out, okay, how do I get ahead of these things to make sure that, that we are uh, uh, creating a space where all generations have, have, are, are feeling seen, are feeling heard, but also given bodies of work that fulfill them as well. I, I totally agree with with all of that. I think it's so well said and such a positive um, spin on things. And you know, you're you're a millennial and in the highest levels of executive leadership. And I, I think that's that's something that people um, don't necessarily realize in their head. I think there's still kind of this idea that millennials are college students or millennials are recent grads. Right. And it's 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 been a number of years since that's been the case. And then I've even noticed among my millennial friends and millennial coaching clients mm-hmm. that there is this kind of turning against Gen Z in some ways of like, <laughs> oh, they're coming in, <laughs> you know, <laughs> all of a sudden they're so different. Oh, and I love your positive spin on it. I you know, know, it's, it's, I mean, that they're, they're different and that's, that's fine. We have to accept that and figure out ways that work for the, the culture that they're, they're coming from and the, all of the different factors that have led um, they're, you know, generation generationally for them to be thinking in the ways that they are. And, you know, how do you, how do you work with that? And how do you embrace the strengths that that brings? And how do you, um, figure out ways that go against, you know, I, I think the quiet quitting is, is something that doesn't seem like that will really make sense for, for long-term, you know, strategic growth of your career mm-hmm. and like leadership and all of that. But how, how do you kind of understand the underpinnings of that and, make it so that it's it's something where we can figure out ways that work for the incoming Gen Z generation, Precisely. that work for millennials, that work for everyone else. Exactly. I mean, for me, my, my entire team are millennials and Gen Zs, and a lot of my conversation during the day is in pop culture references and stuff off of Instagram. So, but which is fine by me, right? Because it's giving me an opportunity to also step into my authenticity because I don't want them just to see me um, in my title, <laughs> right? As their boss, right? I want them to see me as someone who... Um, who connects with them, but at the same time, too, is able to guide them and speak in a way in a lingo that they understand. So um, I think it's quite, which is why for me, it, it's a, it's an area of opportunity because I'm also learning, right? I'm, I'm changing my communication approach, right? Whereas, you know, the, the, the style I would take with my boss might be a little bit more formal. Um, working, with my, uh, working with my team gives me an opportunity to still get the message across, but not necessarily in a so much of a formal manner. So... I definitely see the shifts in generation as a, as an opportunity for me, simply because I enjoy working in that space. So I guess more to come as, as Gen Z continues to come into our workforce and grows in, in their spaces and in their careers to see what shift there that they will make overall. Yeah, millennials don't get a pass on yeah. learning and adapting either. Right? So there, there's been so much, and for very good reason, in um, recent years on diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging in organizations. Mm-hmm. I know you've been um, in that space and um, I would love to hear in your experience, what you think really moves the needle, so to speak, on fostering um, these elements in organizations? I think I'll definitely go back to the to response I gave on, on the first question, intentionality. I, I think leaders have to be intentional in their recruiting of, of diverse talent, their onboarding processes, the feedback and development opportunities that they give. 
And then they have to couple that intentionality with consistency. So during the pandemic, in light of George Floyd's uh, passing, we saw a lot of organizations rethink their efforts for diversity and inclusion. And while many of them have had uh, DNI efforts, they felt that there was room for them to enhance and grow those models going forward. So with that, we saw an increased level of commitment to DEI. However, in light of the, the, the recent um, affirmative action ruling, I fear some organizations um, are going to reevaluate where DNI sits in their organization. And, and ultimately, they will have to also rethink their recruiting approaches, right? I think some of them, where they may have had a strong presence in some, some school campuses, they definitely have to rethink how they want to, 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 to have that level of involvement going forward. But I think organizations who are truly intentional and have figured out a way to pivot um, and to still evidence the dedication to increasing representation um, to ensure that to ensure that, that their organizations look like the communities that they serve um, is super important, right? So really being able to def- dem- demonstrate that, that intentionality to say, yes, there may have been a change in our, in our legal atmosphere, but that doesn't change our intentionality and our commitment to this. And we are going to be consistent in our efforts. It may require us to be a little more creative, but at the same time too, we are, we are still digging our, our, our toes in and being deliberate in our effort to demonstrate that uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging is super important to our organization because they believe in it. Um, so I say, but nonetheless, when it comes to inclusion, equity, and belonging, however, I think it really does require someone's, um, uh, require more effort simply because you can't really, as I said before, you can't really quantify or measure how someone feels. Uh, you can't measure what exclusion feels like, right? There's no exclusion meter to say that you know his level of exclusion is lower than my level of exclusion um right which is deeply uncomfortable for uh for some traditional managers right right Right. so i think like you know so i think mid-level managers those who who are not quite in the cc suite or those who are not quite at senior levels but those who really are in the front lines of, of doing managing individuals they really have to be intentional about ensuring the way that they manage goes back to really communicating and connecting with the individuals that they're managing, right? They have to really be mindful of their biases, be mindful of of any microaggressions and think about how their background or the intersectionality of their backgrounds rather could really find a way for them to connect with with the humans, right? To see past someone's race, their gender, their sexual orientation, but look at the human and find ways to connect with that human. So I think to, to conclude on this uh, on this question because I, I could go on on this topic clearly but <laughs> but I think just really to move the needle there really requires intentionality and consistency I, I I just love the intentionality point and linking it back to that human first leadership approach that you you mentioned earlier as well and seeing seeing all of us as not disparate but connected so you know dei is is not some separate function that you have to do for legal reasons or you have to do for public relations reasons. And I think from the employee side, I I would imagine that folks can feel when an organization is doing it out of necessity, when they're doing it out of that obligation Mm -hmm, to, you mm -hmm. know, the lawyers or to the public relations people. And when it's real and genuine and you're actually trying to grow that culture, I bet that feels a lot different. Yeah, you feel it, right? And I think you feel it as a a manager too, because you're feeling that 
there's a trust there. Your employees start to trust you because you've just created a psychologically safe environment for them to thrive in. So, and I think it works on both sides, right? So I think, yes, employees rely on their managers because their managers have a lot to do in, in their career progression. But at the same time, too, I think managers also trusting their employees will also work for a very, um, a, a, a culture that, that thrives and flourishes because you're really creating a space where we see each other as humans first. Yes, my title might be a little bit bit different than yours simply because of my years of experience or or or, or the, the work that I do, but at the same fundamental level, I'm still a human just like you are. So um, I think that, yeah, I can't, I can't stress enough just being consistent, not letting individuals see that it's all fake because I, I people could tell when, when you're faking it, right? So I think the consistency is the sure and guaranteed way of demonstrating that this is not just something for, for show, but this is really, truly me as a manager, really caring about you and being intentional in how, I help navigate your career with the feedback that I give, with the development opportunities that I provide. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I can't stress enough about the need for intentionality and consistency when thinking about DNI. And that's been such an ongoing theme throughout my other conversations with leaders I admire too, of that, you know, a lot of this stuff is easy to agree to in the shiny, you know, theoretical sense of, oh, of course we want to foster DEI. And where the real work is, is day in, day out, showing up as a person, building trust on your team, mm-hmm. and doing that with that consistency that you mentioned. Yeah. And that is really what moves the needle on these issues. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned you have a team that's predominantly millennials and Gen Z. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine you've developed a keen sense of spotting and helping to grow promising rising talent. Yeah. What What are some qualities you look for in identifying and helping to grow that promising rising talent? I think that their mindset. Um, I, I, I could teach people. I could teach you how to be strategic. I could, could teach you uh, our, our processes, how to abide by our, our methodology that we've created for our department. But what I love is their mindset, right? So if, they have a, if they're proactive, um, if they uh, uh if they have a like oh I don't know what this is now but I know Google is my friend I could figure it out great um if if they have a mindset where they, they think about the team's agenda versus their own personal agendas uh those are the, that's definitely one one of the, the the things that really attract me to, to to rising talent I think also having an attitude for learning I think one of the best things that I'm realizing as I move up the corporate ladder is how much or how important rather coaching and development is and the best best part of my day is when i have an opportunity to work with my associates and my associates are roughly three or four years out of college so they're still uh in the baby phases of their careers and it, it just makes my heart sing when i have to put time on their calendar or vice versa to 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 work with them to think through a strategy so for example like now i'm working with one of my associates to really bring her into uh, how we think about our recruiting processes, right? She asked me to, um, she asked me, and, and I think be- because of the, the comfort level that we have, she asked me, you know, I don't want to just uh, do work once you figure out the strategy, right? Once you give me the work. I want to sit in the strategy meetings with you to figure out, to see how your brain works, right? Because she wants to learn how to develop those skill sets. And I was like, say less, no problem. So I think having an attitude of wanting to learn, 
is super, super important. I, I think it's, it's just one of the, the fun things because I don't have to drag you along for the journey. You want to be a part of the journey. And I think one of the, the last things that I would say on this is also where, um, where the, where, where upcoming talent realizes the importance of psychological safety in themselves and realizes that while I may be their manager, but also creating a safe space for me as well as a leader to also be my, my authentic self. I like to thrive. I thrive best when I don't have to worry about code switching. I thrive best when I don't have to worry about what other people may be uh, perceive of me. And because I thrive best in those environments, I make sure to create an environment like that for my team as well. But in doing so, I think they also realize the importance of creating that space for me as well. Because when I'm in a good space of being my authentic self, I'm able to shine and also give them the information that they need. So I say those are the three things that I look for in, in upcoming talent, right? Uh, 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 really, uh, uh, their mindset, their attitude towards things, their ability and, and their eagerness to learn. And they're, they're also their value about creating a safe space for me, even though I may be their manager. Such such great points that it, it all ties in so much to um, your previous points too of this this idea of not just throwing and a preformed strategy and saying okay now jump and execute it. It's bringing people in on the strategy formation process and that helps them to develop that executive mindset, Correct. that enterprise mindset. Precisely. Of, you know how does this impact the firm? How does this impact our team? Correct. Yeah, because for me, I'm already thinking about succession planning, right? So for me, I don't anticipate that I would be in my role forever, right? I would want to take different paths with my career and try different things. But for me, for the body of work that we care for, that we enjoy doing, I do would want to make sure that it is in right hands. So I think it's it's up to me uh, to not wait until they become a, a, a VP or they become a, a little more senior to, to, to direct them on strategy. I feel like I want to help these little trees grow now, right? So that when they do become mature trees, that they will already have that foundation. So, so that is how I think about it. I, I don't think about myself as one of those leaders who believe in gatekeeping information and not seeing, um, seeing the value in, in investing in my talent. I want to invest in them as much as possible. And what a, what a secure and and confident approach to that. And you can just it just comes across so clearly that you you you're self assured in your own abilities, and you're not trying to kind of kick down on people and keep them in their place. Rather, you're you're trying to grow them, as you said, in, in the tree metaphor. And like I, I think that's that's an interesting point that a lot of more insecure leaders don't really get is that you you can't really be promoted if you're not backfilling your own role with a lot of great in-house talent and it, it does limit your potential to move on to different things and bigger and better things okay. if there's no one to replace you and people feel like you're the only one who can do this kind of role correct like I, I just feel like that that there's no place for that thinking anymore um because then then it, because then you become a dinosaur because you're not learning, right? You're not evolving. You're so focused on on staying where you are to prove that you're the best that you're short-sighted on where there's potential for you to grow and not find opportunities that may, may take you to a different level, expose you to new opportunities as well. So yeah, I, I don't believe in gatekeeping information. Um, gatekeeping information, that, that's definitely not my style of leadership. I want to bring my team along the journey and recognize their efforts going forward. I think that's another big, big thing too, right? Um, recognizing and rewarding individuals. I, I don't think it's, it takes anything out of me to say two words. Thank you. 
And honestly, I take it a little too far sometimes where I just tell them, oh my gosh, you're the best. I can't believe that you're on my team, right? So I always be like, you know, because they, how I see it is that my role is to make my boss look good. But when my team does things to make me look good, it's only, it, it, it could only be better, right? So I feel like factoring recognition in that process too. And I think that probably goes back to one of your previous questions about about the generational shift, right? Seeing how how, how much two words could really go uh, in making individuals feel a, a sense of, of inclusion, a sense of belonging, a sense of, of, of equity by actually recognizing them, seeing them and thanking them for their efforts. And that's such a tangible takeaway for ways because people always ask, you know, how can I as an individual support, you know, as a, as a manager say, support the EIA at our firm. And just that's really recognizing when people of all backgrounds are really contributing and um, showing up as their best selves and just saying thank you is just such an easy and simple way to to do that. It's something that, that gets glossed over a lot in practice. It does, right? Because people say that, oh, well, you know, they're just doing their job. They could, that is true. They are doing their job, but they could do this job anywhere, right? You, you, we often hear the, the, the saying that people don't leave their jobs, they leave their managers, right? So if you as a manager just think that, that yes, they're just doing their job, they're like, oh, I could do this job anyway. So for me, I would want to, re- I want to retain my talent. So I have no problem in listening to what are they, listening to their needs, right? If they have a, a, a need to, to be a part of our strategy conversations, to leverage my remit and to leverage my platform to find those pockets of opportunity for them to learn that skill set. Yeah, I believe definitely in investing in them because I would want them to stay. I don't, I don't want them to leave. It's such a great point. And you're so right that, I mean, there, there's a global talent market now, and especially with remote work coming online, people can really work for from anywhere in the world and for anywhere in the Precisely. world. And, you know, they're not limited to a handful of firms that do whatever kind of business you're in, in your, in your um, region, it's, you know, they can go anywhere and it's, it's no longer enough to just kind of think they're lucky to have a job. Right. And when they do their job, I'm not going to say anything of praise or thanks to them. It's only when they go way above and beyond yes. that I'm going to say anything. Yes, exactly. Right. So I think, and I think that this goes back to how well boomers and Gen Z's raise their kids who are now in the workforce. Right. I mean, because I, I could imagine that, you know, that as parents, they're really drilling into to their teams, like, you know, for them to be self-assured as to who they are. But um, but when they evidence that into the workforce, somehow it takes people by surprise. I'm like, people, but you raised these kids to think this way. They're just doing what their parents told them to do, just in a corporate sense. You just now have to figure out how to change your thinking uh, to, to match that. So um, I, I definitely believe in um, creating a space where individuals could thrive Telling them thank you so much for the hard work that they're doing because I really appreciate it. They're definitely some, some sometimes they give me ideas that I didn't even think about. I was like, oh wow, check you. I love this, right? So I, I can't thank them enough for the bodies of work that they that they help me with and for also contributing their ideas to move to move our our team forward. And I, I really you mentioned it earlier too, and I, I really don't think I've ever heard that that framing of um, just what a what a great job that the the baby boomers and the Gen X did in <laughs> in raising these these uh these different generations, yeah. and I think that's something that gets so so glossed over in the the conversation, and it's um it's really true that th- that was a reaction to um how they felt that their parents had, had raised them, and precisely um 
you know, that it's it's something where I think when when um, folks from those generations are showing up as their best, it is in that sense of of really encouraging um, self expression and self worth and all of this that's come to fruition um, somewhat in the millennial generation and um, even more in the the Gen Z generation. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what I see it, right? So you, they did a fantastic job, right? But you can't complain now when they're in the workforce. So. <laughs> <laughs> That is that is so interesting. And you mentioned something earlier about um, the the psychological safety and trust going both ways. So you, as the manager or the leader, trying to foster a, an environment of psychological safety. And I think most people are probably familiar with psychological safety from listening. But it's that that sense that you can have honest conversations in the in the workplace and not feel like you're going to be personally attacked for either bringing up positive points or even constructive points. So it really fosters the sense of being able to show up as your full self without fear of retribution. Um, How do you, you you mentioned that that goes both ways too, that you, you actually feel that from um, folks who report to you Mm -hmm. and that helps you to become a better leader. I'd love to hear more on that. Sure. So um, on my team, I'm a millennial. Uh, The individual who reports to me, she's also a millennial and the, And the two associates that report into to, to both of us are, are Gen Zs. So, um, so for me, I um, I don't like to lead with my title. I like to to individuals to see Corinne first. So yes, I got to where I am because I'm strategic in my thinking. I'm influential. Um, but the biggest part of also getting to where I am too is how I make people feel. And that was definitely some of the the best advice I could have gotten from the head of my department when I reported to her. She said that, you know, how people walk away from the interaction with you should be always your top of mind. And because of that, I I don't like leading with my title first. I like leading as Corinne first. Um, So me as the individual, I am quite down to earth. I love a good laugh. Um, I I love people. Uh, does that mean that all people and I will connect? No, but I do understand that. I, but fundamentally, I do love engaging with people. And I think it's super important to take the time uh, before any of my meetings for a 10, 15 minute laugh and giggle. I want to hear about what you did over the weekend. I want to hear about what did you and your family do? I want to hear all those stories because I'm going to tell you what, what I'm going to do. For example, my team knows that I love the holidays. They know that I, when it comes to November, my Christmas tree goes up definitely at the top of November. I'm a bit behind this week. But nonetheless, um, <laughs> those are things that they know fundamentally about who I am as a person. Um, and I smother them in a sense with adoration because they have skill sets that are different from mine that complement me at the same time too. So I think for me, demonstrating who I am as a person by making my jokes whether I laugh at them by myself or they laugh at them with me or at me. I'm not sure sometimes, but they're laughing. Um, but nonetheless, I, I, I want to create a space where they enjoy me first. They get to understand who I am first. And in doing so, it creates a space for them to have honest conversation. I have had my, my, aunt, my, my, um, my associates tell me that, you know, that, that they really want to, that sometimes they feel overwhelmed. And when they feel overwhelmed, that's when I want to step in even more, right? To give them that support. I want them to feel and to know that I am there and they don't have to worry. And my, my team is also a team of all women, not, not intentionality, just by design of our team. And in doing so, I also want to make them feel empowered. 
sometimes in, in corporate America, uh, women sometimes lose their voices, not because they don't have one, but sometimes they don't know when or where to use it because the space either wasn't creative for them to use it. But I also want them to know that working with me, that there is a space for your voice here. And I always remind them to step into that power, to not let their titles dictate their ability to perform, but perform as who they are as the individuals, those gifts, let those gifts shine. And when you wear your title, being an associate or being a director, or being a VP, uh, the, the end result uh, of you already having those gifts, right? And you being promoted uh, is just using those gifts that come innate to you that have been enhanced over the time due to the experiences that you've been getting to get to the next level. But I never want my, my team to think with their titles first, for them to say, oh, I reached out to this executive director and he didn't respond to me. And I was like, what? He didn't respond to you? Bad human behavior. He should treat you with just basic respect, right? And I hate when I have to step in to, to a conversation because someone didn't respond to my associate to leverage now my title to get stuff done. That bothers me to the core because that hierarchical, there's no place for that hierarchical thinking, right? I feel like if, if someone's asking something on my behalf, it's because she's doing so to, to do a body of work I need her to do. And it, I think it's simple respect to, to re respond to respond to, to, to their requests. So to go back to that, maybe a long-winded answer, Dan. But nonetheless, I feel it's super important for my team to get to know who I am first because I know that I am not always going to be on have those days where I'm going to be um where I'm going to be resilient. There are days where I'm going to be in my most human self where I may may, may have a I may be sad. There may be days where I may be angry. There may be days where I too might feel overwhelmed. And I need them to create a space for me as well to feel that way because I am also human. I am not just my title or their manager, I'm human first. So having that, that re reciprocity in psychological safety is super important because I know that there'll be days where I would need them to see me just as human and to give me that grace. That's that's really beautiful. And that, that's something I've admired about you um, since we met in, in grad school too, is that you're, you know, you really show up as as yourself and you bring this lightness and sense of humor and all of these these various things that you're um, working on in your personal life to bring you joy uh, to the forefront. And you combine that with a really sharp strategic sense and a really great business acumen and all these other qualities. And I, I think when leaders can combine both showing up authentically as their selves and as a really strong and sharp and smart manager and leader and thinker that that's when you can really drive some of these these big results as a as a team and bring people along with you. Uh, thank you so much Dan. So what um I I know we've we've read a lot of um of books through uh our time at GW and then I also imagine that you you probably um read a lot and listen to a lot outside of that. What's a leadership book or other resource of any kinds that you uh, find yourself coming back to the most often? Oh, I go back to one that we we used during grad school, right? I'm not sure if you remember it. Change, change your questions, change your life. Yes, I have it uh, on my bookshelf uh, behind my computer. Okay. <laughs> I love this book. I mean, when we read it during grad school, of course, we were reading it through a, a lens for leadership, but when I reread re the book, um, for me, there's just so much useful gems that this book has that could apply to any situation, right? Not just you as a leader, but you in all forms of your relationships. So this to me, 
this book to me, I have it in front of me uh, with all its many pages tucked in because I like to remember pages that I need to go back to uh, should I need to, to think about something. But this book, Change Your Question, Change Your Life, because when I think through strategy, one of the things I, I tell my team is let's talk through the problems first, right? What is the true problem that we're solving for? And let's go down that route of asking the why behind it so that we could really come up to the right question we want to ask for us to then be able to solve that problem as opposed to solving, just putting a bandaid on something superficially. So this book by Marley Adams, Change Your, Change Your Question, Change Your Life to me has been a Bible in grad school and it is a Bible to me today. What a what a great suggestion for people, and I I know it's um it has it has like the appearance of being kind of new agey and um, fluffy, but as you said, there's so there's so many gems in that, and I think that the choice map is one that really stands out to me of a gem in that book of that um you know choosing to be in a learning mindset rather than in a judging mindset. Correct. And yeah. So for me, that one is just so big. Precisely right. I, I think because I, I'm in a learning mindset continuously, right? So when I spoke about the challenges, uh, the challenges that I mentioned before, when it comes to, I think was it what was it Gen Zs or oh, the generational shift in the workforce, which is why for me I was able to put a, a spin on it because I'm like, oh, this might just be an opportunity for me to learn something new, right? So yeah. So this is definitely me. I'm putting into practice some of those some of those tenets that I pulled out from this book. Um, so you mentioned a bit of outside of the business world, um, where you draw inspiration with coming up on the holidays and your tree and all of that. I think it's just so important for leaders to not only be immersed in you know what they're doing at work and what they're learning in school and what they're reading in terms of like leadership and management books, but drawing inspiration from the world at large and other places of, of fun and joy for them. Where where else do you draw inspiration as a leader? Um yeah, I, I definitely draw inspiration from a leader from, from real life situations. I, I too draw a lot from my um from my my mentors. Um I think listening to them and understanding their thought processes as to how they approach certain situations is super important. But I also draw a lot from my team. I listen to my team a lot. I make sure to go across to my team for laughs and giggles every day. And honestly, there are times when you know you have work to do, but you're just not in the mind frame to do it. And I go across them to also tell them that, like, guys, this might be too too much here. But I just want to go home. <laughs> so, so for me, it's I draw inspiration, honestly, from my team because I learn a lot from them. And, and, and I learn a, a lot from them in the sense as to how they handle situations, how they're able to pivot, how they're also able to educate me at the same time too. So, so I think it's, it's just a matter of not just looking or sitting in my space as a leader and just, uh, pulling from, from what I know, but I also just leverage the, the, the environment and the factors all around me from my own mentors and leveraging my team, uh, to be their mentee in a sense, even though I may, I may manage them. So I, I, I think, I just have a, a real life um, lived experience, and I, and I try to pull out the best out of those situations, and 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 use those as catalysts going forward to be the best version of myself as a leader, and just also as me, Corinne. Yeah, and I, so I, I love this again, both the having mentors and and listening to your team and showing up in that mentor role um, for your team. I I think some people might be curious on um, your thoughts on how to. Um, 
either find a mentor or develop a mentor relationship with folks. I would just love to hear any any thoughts you have on how to go about that for people. So I, I think it's twofold, right? So I think it's, it's who and what do you want this individual in your life to be for you? So if you're in a corporate environment and you work with this person, and depending on where that person sits in the organization, do you want this person to be a mentor for you or do you want that person to be a sponsor for you? And a sponsor and a mentor play two different roles in your life, right? So the sponsor is that person who speaks on your behalf behind closed doors, right? They're advocating for you to get that pay increase. They're advocating for you to get that promotion. They're advocating for you to get that new responsibility, to to, to use their influence to put your name forward so that you'll be the one selected for certain things, right? So your sponsor, they're doing the work behind the scenes for you. But your mentor should be with you side by side as you're going through things to give you the guidance uh, that you need to tackle things as, as, as they as they come. So I think when it comes to thinking about a mentor, it's also doing some self-reflection to ask yourself, I would like this person to be a mentor, but really think about it based on where, where, where they sit in the organization. Do I want them to be a mentor or do would they better serve me as a sponsor? And in doing so, right, you can't just go up to someone and say, hey, I like your style. Could you be my mentor? <laughs> right? That'd be very right. odd. <laughs> but what you can do is talk about things that you like, that they exhibit, that you would want to continue growing in. So, for example, if you saw someone who has a really nice way of making people feel seen, and that is a skill that you want to also develop, right? How could you become more empathetic? Then you say that, you know, I really appreciated how you handled the situation where you demonstrated such a high sense of, of, of EQ, right? Um, I'm being empathetic in that situation, and I think that's a skill I want to develop. Would you mind helping me develop that skill? Right? So I think it's, it's not just going up to them, but, 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 but also really figuring out a way to connect with them and seeing in them what it is that you want them to learn so that they can figure out how to help you. But, um, when it comes to a sponsor, however, it's a little different, right? They're technically using their relationship collateral their relationship capital to help you move forward so with that you definitely have to have a demonstrate to, to demonstrate um how they could have trusted in your your brand right what you bring forward um they, they need to also trust and have a, a a sense of familiarity with you right to make sure that you wouldn't also negatively reflect on them as well if they're, they're putting their good name to, to to really push you going forward so I think when individuals think about developing mentor relationships, really think about, do I want this person to be a mentor to me? And if it's a mentor, what it is that they possess that I want to grow in. And then if someone could be a sponsor for them, figure out how to build a familiarity, how to make sure your brand is speaking for yourself, right? Your brand, not so much a negative reputation, how your br- what your brand is, so that they would then be able to trust that whatever relationship capital they leverage on your behalf it is going to be a good investment. What a what a important distinction there between mentor and sponsor, and realizing that the the sponsor is is really leveraging their political capital in the organization on your behalf, and you really need to show up and um, convince them that you're you're going to be able to step up to the occasion and provide that that value back and reflect positively on them. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned the the brand. Building, I'd love to hear a little more on that too. Like, how how do you envision building a a brand? I, I feel like people have this skewed sense of it as like building a social media brand or something is the only thing that counts as brand building. But how do you how do you envision that? 
Well, I think I think if, if building a brand starts with your mindset, right? What it is, or how do I want people to perceive me? How do how do I want people to feel every time they engage with me? Um, and what people could possibly learn from me, at least for me. When when I think about my brand, I think there are three words that I always like to remind people about. And when I when I speak with students, I I, I take it from a different perspective, right? I, I I take it from a perspective of thinking, who is a superhero that they admire, and why do they admire that superhero, right? So if they have a superhero that's Batman, for example, Batman doesn't wasn't necessarily born with any supernatural powers like Superman was, right? But he was able to leverage his resources, which was the the, the, the wealth that his parents uh, left for him to develop and invest in technology to be able to, to be able him to have those powers naturally. So if you admire Batman for his for him being creative, for him being self-made, for him being um innovative, then those are things that resonate with you, then those are things that probably represent you as a person. And that translates into your brand. Right? So when you think also about how your family um, reaches out to you. So if your friends and family reaches out to you consistently because you listen, you're a good listener, because you give solid advice, if they're able to, uh, to rely upon you, to know that you will always come through, that's also part of your brand. So it's, so it's, it's thinking about how you show up and, and things that also, va- that also align with your value that really connect and, and make your brand. And then it then follows into how you follow up those things with your actions, right? So for example, if someone sees in you that you are really good at making people feel warm and welcome, then your consistency in doing that regardless of whoever you meet is super important. That That is such a, again, to the refreshing point of, of views of, of brand building of it, it goes beyond sort of the superficial and really gets into the the depth and the nuance of how do you make people feel when you're in their presence and what are these, you know, quote unquote soft skills that are actually the, the real hard skills of, of today's age. And how do you intentionally showcase what you're so good at? Corinne, this has been a really wonderful conversation. So, so many insights for leaders to pull out from your experience and from your knowledge. Um, so I really appreciate you joining us. I think a lot of people will love this conversation and it, it means a lot to me that you were willing to take the time to join me for this. I am so happy, Dan. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, and I'm, I'm very happy to, 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 to definitely um, share my thoughts and, and thank you once more. Thanks so much. So listeners, thanks as always for taking the time to listen in. We'll put the show notes and link to um, any resources that Corinne mentioned or that I mentioned um, at contempusleadership.com. And if you got something out of the show today, if you could share it with a colleague um, or leave a quick review on whatever podcast app you're using, that will go a long way in helping to spread the word so others can find us. And Corinne, thank you so much again. Thank you so much, Dan. Have a good one. You too.